This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. A new investigation from the Chicago Sun-Times and the Better Government Association looks at Cook County's pattern of drug arrests. Over the last two decades, tens of thousands of mostly black men have been arrested for low-level drug possession. The charges are often quickly dismissed, but they can still have life-changing consequences. Weeks spent in jail, lost jobs, homes, cars and fractured relationships. Here with the details on their investigation are Frank Main of the Chicago Sun-Times. Welcome, Frank. And Casey Toner, investigative reporter for the Better Government Association. Welcome, Casey. Thanks for having me on. I'll start with you, Casey. You analyzed nearly two decades of court data. What were your main findings? Well, we found that uh, low-level drug possession cases are routinely and systematically dismissed uh, kind of quickly after they enter the system, resulting in a churn of dead-end arrests with potentially disastrous consequences for the people involved uh, who are charged with drug possession for amounts that weigh less than a paperclip. And, you know, this is a system that everyone knows about, uh, but no one has tried to change at all. About half the drug possessions in Chicago between 2000 and 2018, uh, which were 140,000 of them, they were dropped at the earliest stage. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, That's correct. And it's, it's important to think about, you know, not only those numbers, you know, but the resources involved in this, you know, for each arrest, you know, there's time in city lockup, um, you know, there can be time in county jail, uh, you know, the resources inside a courtroom, you know, with bailiffs and judges and prosecutors and defenders, and kind of most significantly the police. You know, we found in our story that uh, in some police beats, you know, and these are beats with serious violent crime, drug possession arrests represent a quarter of all arrests made. And and these arrests are just kind of quickly dismissed. You know, this turn of dead-end arrests that, that we get at, you know, is prevalent in, in these police beats. Yeah, and as we said, the uh, dismissal rate of, of these low-level charges, it's grown in recent years, Casey, with 72% of cases since 2018 having been tossed out. That seems like a high percentage. It does. And, you know, as you mentioned, it's grown recently. And we spoke to State Attorney Kim Fox, who talked about it, you know, being kind of one of her one of her priorities is, you know, to just toss these cases out, you know, in the, in the bond stage. And you know, it was very surprising to me, you know, when we started working on this, you know, I spent a lot of times and a lot of time in courtrooms, just kind of paying attention and seeing what happened. And you know, I spoke to um, a judge about it. You know, in closed chambers, and the judge was basically like, uh, yeah, this is the way it works. You know, cases with uh, a gram or less, you know, they just get tossed. Uh, it was very kind of matter-of-factly, and I, 
I found that admission kind of stunning. Like, you know, this is the system that, that we have set up, uh, but that's the case. Let's uh, bring you into the conversation here, Frank. Uh, I want to talk more about the impact that a drug arrest can have on someone's life, even when charges are quickly dismissed. Yeah, I think I was a little bit surprised um, by the extent at which this harms people. The people who are largely buying uh, drugs and, and addicted to drugs are a lot of them are living on a on the on the edge kind of financially and and so if you spend a couple of weeks in jail you might lose your job at a restaurant for example your your boss might hire a new employee um, you might have to spend thousands of dollars to get your car out of the impound lot and uh, all these things kind of cascade out of control. And so we we talked to lots of people who said that, yeah, I mean, if I wind up stuck in the justice system, even for a little bit, my, my life will kind of spin out of control. In addition to that, I'm, you know, if you're addicted to heroin specifically and you wind up locked up behind bars and you don't get the treatment that you need, um, you know, when you get out uh, and you continue to use, you can wind up getting an having an overdose, and it can have obviously can kill you. Um, the sheriff's office says that they are um, are trying to identify people who need that kind of treatment when they're in jail. But mm-hmm. you know, we have talked to lots of uh, people who say that that is a, a big issue, not only in Cook County but you know across the state. Taxpayers are also impacted by these drug arrests, right, Frank? Yeah, I mean, so in addition to the human cost, I mean, we we tried to document the taxpayer cost for all of this. And we found that around $100 million over a period of about six years was spent just on temporarily housing these people in the Cook County Jail. And then they wind up um, being released and their charges are dismissed. And so the question is, you know, what's the point? Why are we wasting our our taxpayer dollars doing this if we're not even prosecuting these people. And we're not arguing for these people to be prosecuted. But, you know, if that's not the outcome, then what are we doing? I mean, why, why, why aren't we spending this money better? Your investigation describes an unwritten policy among judges and prosecutors that minor drug offenses will get tossed out. So why do police keep making these arrests, Frank? Because it's illegal and because their you know, bosses tell them to do it and because citizens call uh, the police and say, hey, I have all this drug selling going on in my block and I don't like it. And so they have to respond to it. So it's, it's kind of this cynical system in which the policymakers, the cops bosses, you know, have allowed this to go on, knowing full well that, you know, all these cases are going to disappear. But it's happening. These arrests are happening because it's a felony offense. It's a, people may not realize this, but a small amount of drugs, I'm talking like a quarter gram or less of cocaine or heroin is still a felony in Illinois. So if you wound up getting prosecuted and go, and sentenced, it's, you know, the possibility is you could go to prison for you know, very small quantities of drugs. But the bottom line is that it, it's it, this is illegal activity and the cops say we are enforcing the law. So it's a decision that's coming from much higher up to to make these arrests. Casey, I want to pick up where Frank left off here. Your investigation also highlights how uh, these drug charges aren't subject to the same review process as other felonies like murder or rape. Uh, It's the police instead of the prosecutors who get to decide whether to charge someone with drug possession. Why is that important? Because, you know, unlike, you know, rapes and murders, 
you know, they have to go through this process where state attorneys will filter out cases. Like if there isn't, you know, witness testimony or uh, a weapon or, or a body or anything you can name, prosecutors have the option of just saying, no, I'm not going to approve these felony charges. But way back when the system was created in the 1970s, drugs were given an exception. One, because there were just so many drug charges that having this felony review process would uh, overload the system. Um, so officers can just, you know, make these arrests themselves. And one of the reasoning, you know, for this is because unlike, you know, rapes and murders and burglaries and other felonies with drug charges, with drug possession, often the central witness is the police officer, you know, him or herself. And, you know, they can stand at any corner in the city of Chicago and, you know, find someone engaging in a legal act and they can uh, arrest them and bring them to jail and, put them into the system. There's just a lot of leeway for officers to bring these charges. And, you know, as my colleague at the Better Government Association, Jared Rutecki and I, you know, began looking through these files, uh, you know, we noticed that the officers just had a number of reasons, you know, for bringing these cases that I would imagine might get tossed if, if prosecutors were, were looking at them. Uh, for example, we, we found a case where there's a woman who is walking through a garden in the wintertime in Chicago. And, you know, the officer's reason for initiating the arrest was uh, since it was the wintertime and she was walking through a garden, her actions were, quote, non-amenable to gardening. Mm. Um, and so these are the kind of issues that come up without the, the felony review. Um, these drug arrests are, are concentrated around a few areas on the city's west side. There's one neighborhood where a quarter of the arrests are for minor level drug possessions, right? That's true. Um, that's true. And, and kind of what we found um, is that these drug arrests are focused uh, around you know parts of the west side uh, where there are open air uh, drug markets. You know where people um, you know are just walking you know from uh, the CTA or they are uh, you know driving in and they're just going up the corners or going up the streets where there's drug activity and um, you know they're just buying drugs off the street. And that appears to be where, you know, all these arrests are focused. And it's interesting because, you know, this happened, used to happen too on the South side. Uh, but over time, the dynamics of, of drug selling have changed. And uh, the drug markets used to operate um, on the South side outside of public housing. And when uh, a lot of that was torn down, you know, these markets continued along the west side, and that's where all the action in terms of the drug possession arrests are happening. And that drug economy is very different on the west side compared to the south side, right, Frank? Yeah, I mean, what we found in talking to people who have recently kind of looked at the landscape in, on the west side and south side is that um, more often you will see kind of phone sales and kind of... Um, delivery, you know, uh, like pizzas, like home delivery of drugs on the south side. I mean, it still happened. There's still open air sales on the south side. But if you um, were to drive through some parts of the west side, I mean, it's I mean, Casey and I saw lots of hand to hand deals while we were just doing this story. I mean, it's it's no they're not hiding it. So mm -hmm. um, it's a much much different drug economy and uh what guys will tell you on the west side the, the sellers the uh, dealers will tell you that it's all about the money i mean they will the gang um alliances that normally exist are kind of out the window as long as you're making money 
you know, a vice lord and a four-corner hustler will work together on the corner to sell drugs. And you don't see that on the south side where it is a lot more um, stratified or, um, you know, balkanized, whatever word you want to use for mm-hmm. gangs. Well, Casey, the uh, Chicago police, they do have a program that's allowing some people caught with uh, with small amounts of drugs to go into treatment instead of the courts. Would you say that's helping? Um, it's one thing that's happening. I'll, I'll say that, you know, but right now it's, you know, one of the issues is that, you know, it's only capturing a slight percentage of these cases. And, you know, there's a variety of, you know, reasons why people are not selected to enter this program, you know, and then there's additional arguments to be made about, you know, whether drug courts are the most effective way to deal with this problem. And, you know, drug courts have been around Cook County for a long time. And we've seen cases where people go through it and the case gets dropped. But I think you have to realize that when you go through that program, it's a lot of hoops you have to jump through. And it's one of those things that, you know, will disrupt your life. But there are trade-offs for everything in this world. I'll give the last word to you, Frank. The the biggest takeaway, you think, for folks who uh, read your investigation? I think we found that this is uh, a huge waste of money and a waste of human life. And this system uh, goes back decades. We talked to prosecutors who said that they would dismiss these small-level uh, drug cases 40 years ago. And so this is nothing new. It's just the fact that we think policy makers need to take a second look at this and, and decide whether it's really the best thing to arrest people and just let them go in a kind of a catch and release system that doesn't seem to do much. That's Frank Main, reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times and Casey Toner, investigative reporter for the Better Government Association. Thank you both for joining us. We just heard reporters Frank Main of the Chicago Sun-Times and Casey Toner of the Better Government Association discussing their investigation into drug arrests in Cook County. Now we'd like to continue that conversation and discuss solutions to what many in criminal justice and public health view as a broken system. Here with their analysis is Kathy Kane-Willis, Research and Policy Director for the Chicago Urban League and former director of the Illinois Consortium on Drug Policy and Ben Riddell, Director of Criminal Justice Policy at the ACLU of Illinois. Kathy, I'll I'll start with you. Uh, You've been tracking heroin use since the early 2000s, and at one point you calculated the cost of jailing people whose drug charges were tossed out. What did you find? We found that a lot of money was spent on putting people in jail for very short periods of time and then having the cases dismissed later. It ties into the opioid overdose crisis because people who are jailed are 40 to 120 times more likely to die after they are released from jail because of the loss of tolerance from not using opioids. So that's another issue that intersects with the issue of arresting folks is that it actually leads them to overdose and die. Right. Uh, And Ben, the the Sun-Times Better Government Association investigation found that between 2013 and 2018, uh, more than $100 million was spent on briefly housing people in the Cook County Jail on these minor drug possession charges. To you, does this seem like a good use of taxpayer money? Uh, No, it seems like a terrible uh, waste of taxpayer money, as I think the Sun-Times story does a great job of illustrating um, the fact that it's it's not helping and in fact it's doing a lot of harm 
uh, to people's lives that ripples out into their families and communities. So it's not merely just an inefficient system. It's a harmful system. Yeah. Kathy, I want to dig more into what you just brought up, you know, that some heroin addicts are even more susceptible to overdose after a couple weeks in jail um, just because their tolerance diminishes. Is that right? Right. Yes, that's right. In fact, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a couple of weeks. It can just be a few days. The tolerance is is relatively short lived and, you know, not having access to medication assisted treatment. If people aren't given methadone or buprenorphine, the risk of overdosing is much higher following even a brief stint in jail. So the harm is to people's lives because getting arrested doesn't just it's not just that moment. I mean, there's all of the repercussions and your criminal history. Even if the case is dismissed, it's going to show up. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, people can necessarily discriminate against you legally, but it causes so many harms. I think that what Ben said is right. Health harms, jobs harms, destabilization of the neighborhood. When you look at, you know, where all these arrests are occurring, that's very close to where I live in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So it creates a multiple harms to both the people who are arrested and to the community in which it's occurring. And you know this uh, as well, Kathy, because you're a former heroin user yourself. And I wonder, given those firsthand experiences, what do you think then would be a better strategy for helping addicts? I think criminalizing addiction, like if you were to criminalize any other health issue, makes it harder to get care. So um, I think that what we need to do is reduce the penalties or eliminate the penalties. I had the great um, pleasure of being able to go to Portugal and understand how they decriminalize drugs and overdose, you know, deaths plummeted. And they don't even use Narcan because the country is relatively um, doesn't have the funds for naloxone or Narcan, which is the overdose drug uh, prevention drug, overdose reversal drug. So when I look at that system and I look at this system, I think there has to be a better way because I, in fact, was arrested while, you know, waiting to get into treatment at a certain point in time. Mm. And that is not a helpful situation that you miss. Then you have to go to the back of the line to treatment because you missed that appointment and there's no like you didn't have a good reason, even though you were arrested. And so getting on the wait list again, you know, it pushes it farther and farther out. It's not as though people who are arrested and in Cook County Jail are immediately like matched with treatment. That's not what's happening. So I think that what we need to do is we need to scale up treatment. This is not without its cost, right? The arresting people and then letting them go. It's not, you know, revenue neutral, if you think about the $100 million, how much could we have done with that money on the treatment side, on the demand side? Because research shows that people who enter treatment through the criminal justice system do not stay in it as long as they do when they voluntarily enter treatment. Treatment retention is the biggest predictor of success in dealing with substance use disorder. So everything that we're kind of doing here is not working very well. And if you look at where the drug market activity is and the overdoses are occurring, they're occurring in the same areas. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that there has to be some sort of solution to deal with both of those issues at the same time. Well, to that end, Ben, would you like to see drug addiction treated as a public health problem? Uh, yes, our state, states around the country uh, really, 
need to make that shift because the um, record rate of fatal overdose is a is a nationwide problem, unfortunately. And so um, it, it's clear that treating drug use primarily as a legal uh, criminal law issue is not working here and it's not working elsewhere. But as Kathy said, there are places like Portugal that have uh, had a lot of success both eliminating criminal penalties for uh, small-scale drug possession and dramatically reducing the rate of overdose death. And I think Kathy did a great job of explaining how these two issues are uh, are intertwined. And, you know, in fact, uh, the worst, uh, most severe problems in Chicago uh, with regard to fatal overdose and with regard to over-criminalization occur in the very same geographic areas. Um, Kathy, there's also uh, a new housing is recovery pilot program that was signed into law in July. Uh, it provides rental subsidies to people at risk of dying of overdoses. Do you think that's a step in the right direction? I do think that housing for people who are unhoused is a key component of of ensuring recovery because Without having housing, it's very difficult to get into recovery. I can speak to that from my own personal experience. It's just very hard when you're unhoused to keep mind and soul together, let alone get to treatment programs. So I think that's part of the strategy. I think that's an important part of the strategy. As the uh, Sun-Times highlights uh, in a follow-up to its investigation, in Oregon, possessing small amounts of drugs like heroin is only a ticket. Ben, you've been pushing for legislation that would make minor drug possession a misdemeanor instead of a felony here in Illinois. Can you just talk more about that? Sure. So you mentioned uh, drug possession currently in Illinois is a felony for any substance in any quantity. And that's not the case in many states. There are about 20 other states and more every year that either, you know, have reclassified possession offenses to misdemeanors or in some cases or in one case in Oregon, uh, decriminalized possession altogether. And so in in Illinois, uh, what this bill that we've been working on for a number of years now would do is provide that beneath certain quantity thresholds, possession would be treated as a misdemeanor, which would not take away the police's ability to arrest. Um, So, you know, the problem of over-arrest is not going to go away because of this bill. But what it would do is it would de-incentivize arrests, because I think police do prioritize um, making felony arrests. Mm -hmm. But it would also reduce the consequences, you know, the the really life-altering negative consequences that are illustrated in the Sun-Times story as far as pretrial incarceration, disruption of people's uh, lives, ineffective but burdensome coercive treatment programs, and impoundment of vehicles, fines and fees, all of those things that keep people from working, keep people from getting uh, education and housing and push us in exactly the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. Um, This bill would reduce the penalty to a misdemeanor. Uh, Most people who are convicted of a misdemeanor are not sentenced to incarceration. Most are sentenced to probation and many are diverted and, you know, can end up without a conviction. In addition to the penalty decrease, we thought it was important in the bill to set up a framework for what we think are kind of best practices for diverting people out of the system entirely who are 
arrested by getting them voluntary assessment from a community-based behavioral health services provider and, you know, if appropriate, to participate in the creation of their own treatment plan. And if they do those things, then to dismiss the case and have no further involvement from the legal system and um, let that person embark on a voluntary course of treatment, which is Kathy Uh, mentioned is in the long run much more effective and the results are just much better than with court-ordered treatment which is also more expensive and um, and harmful Uh, ben even uh, cook county's top prosecutor kim fox uh, she's called this catch and release drug arrest policy a failure what else would you say the state and local governments can do to fix what they seem to know is broken well i think making fewer arrests is paramount. As I said, just decreasing the penalty won't in and of itself accomplish that. So you alluded earlier to what, you know, the so-called deflection program where police can connect people with treatment instead of arresting them and, you know, expanding that use, making sure more people are eligible for that and not excluded because of some prior criminal record. We need to improve, I think, policing. Uh, Police reform plays a part because the level of trust between police and communities, if you want police officers to be seen as offering a helping hand, and then, you know, we need to change some culture here and make it plain to the police and, and, you know, establish a culture of intervening when there are, for instance, the Sun-Times story talks about disruptive uh, drug selling activity Mm -hmm. that provokes complaints from residents and ends in drug arrests. The police need to come up with more creative solutions of being responsive to legitimate quality of life complaints, but, you know, having other tools besides arrest in the toolbox to be responsive, but not to over criminalize people in a certain part of the city. You know, there has to be some alternative besides either surveillance and over-policing on one hand and then total abandonment on the other. So um, I think that this bill that we are attempting to enact into law in Illinois would create a middle ground that would allow us to bridge toward a world where we don't criminalize addiction. And we put the emphasis on getting people who need health services, getting them those services in communities, because we know uh, most people who need treatment are not getting it in jails. And, you know, the, the harm that's done is counteracting whatever. Uh, right. Whatever it's it's good counterproductive. Uh, what are your final thoughts then on, on solutions that would improve the current system? Kathy? Well, I have two things to say about I think that when we look at the neighborhoods where the arrests and the overdoses are occurring, the west side, that's an area that's been heavily disinvested in, uh, heavily disinvested. And so we need economic development in those areas as well. It's not only a policing redo strategy. It's important to scale up treatment. Medication-assisted treatment is the most effective form of treatment for opioid addiction. We don't have enough of that. And in the criminal justice system, just one in 20 are able to access it overall. So we need to think more broadly about the open-air drug markets, about the people who live in the neighborhoods, and about what treatment and what success looks like. And we know that success doesn't look like arresting a whole bunch of folks because it's not working. We have the highest overdose rate than we ever have in the state of Illinois at this day. If this were working, then the overdose rate would be lower. 
That is Kathy Kane Willis, Research and Policy Director for the Chicago Urban League. Also with us, Ben Riddell, Director of Criminal Justice Policy at the ACLU of Illinois. Thank you both. Well, that's it for today's Reset, and you can hear more great stories and investigations like this one by subscribing to this podcast. And while you're at it, give us a rating. It helps listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and we'll meet again tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.